people who are disengaged are not up at night wondering how to improve the products and services of their company or the customer experience. They're up at night thinking about how unhappy they are and what their next job will be. People feel the risk of irrelevance. They're coming to work filled with apathy, filled with a sense of just not caring because they figure it's just a matter of time before I get a pink slip from a robot. Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and in each episode, we talk to a thought leader at the top of their game about an issue you need to know more about. If you want to grow your business and enjoy some informative chat, then the growth business is where you need to be. This week, I'm talking to Andrew Sherman about the pressing need for greater employee engagement. Andrew is a lawyer, a legal and strategic advisor to leaders of Fortune 500 companies, as well as leaders of emerging businesses. He's the author of 27 books on subjects around business growth and a frequent public speaker. He's also a law professor. Wow, that's quite a CV. Welcome, Andrew. Lucy, it's so great to be here, and um, I look forward to an interesting dialogue for the benefit of your listeners and your ecosystem. That's a lot of different hats you're wearing there, Andrew. Which one is the real Andrew Sherman? I would say, based on a book I wrote about life called Road Rules, I open up the book by saying, at heart, I'm an educator, and I'm happy educating, whether it's on the stage for a keynote presentation, whether it's in a boardroom, whether it's in a classroom, or whether you know it's just a one-on-one meeting with a client. So I think as long as I'm helping people and as long as I'm educating and sharing the wealth of my knowledge, I'm a happy camper. Excellent. And where do you join us from today? I'm uh, headquartered in Washington, D.C., uh, about 10 blocks from the White House and right in the heart of of the Capitol Beltway. Amazing. Right in the thick of it. Andrew, of your many books, the one that I'm really interested in is The Crisis of Disengagement, How Apathy, Complacency and Selfishness are Destroying Today's Workforce. That's a hell of a title. It doesn't pull any punches, does it? No, uh, it wasn't designed. It was designed to, to be a little bit in your face. But the funny story, Lucy, if you don't mind me sharing, is how did a corporate transactional lawyer end up writing a book about HR and disengagement? And uh, it does tie in to a couple of the other books that I've written, if, if, if we'd be okay to share. Sure, absolutely. And you've got straight in there with the question that I need to ask, what is a lawyer doing writing a book about HR? Well, there you go. So um, let me just say, for the purpose of full disclosure, I am not an HR expert. I'm not even a labor and employment lawyer. Um, I wrote the book as a concerned citizen of the United States and of the planet because disengagement has become a global crisis. It's not just a baby boomer millennial thing. In fact, it's anything but. We are not in a good place relative to our passion in the workplace. We are not in a good place with regard to our career paths. And we're not in a good place in terms of societal divisiveness. And That is all spilling into productivity and profitability of companies and teamwork and collaboration. But interestingly enough, that's not how I got interested in the topic. I wrote a book about seven years ago called Harvesting Intangible Assets. And the premise of that book, which was written in an agrarian metaphor, is that innovation is like an agricultural process and we need to, you know, sufficiently 
cultivate our fields and build the seeds of innovation. And, you know, it was a very popular book and it got lots of great reviews. And I thought, okay, I've solved the world's innovation problem. Check that box. And then I realized that if the boards of directors of companies did not create the right guidance and oversight, uh, then innovation could not thrive. So I wrote a book called Essays on Governance, and I checked that box, and I thought I was done. And I started working with companies and realizing that while board governors and leaders could support innovation, and the innovation process was sufficiently articulated, there was a third leg of the stool, a third point of the triangle that I had missed, and that was the issue of culture. And people who are disengaged uh, are not up at night wondering how to improve the products and services of their company or the customer experience or the supply chain or the distribution channel. They're up at night thinking about how unhappy they are and what their next job will be. Without people being engaged, they can't be innovative, creative, and looking to improve overall enterprise value. The more I look into business theory, it does keep coming back to people, doesn't it? It does. And the real spark, the the thing that put me over the edge was the 2015 Gallup study on the state of the American workplace. As bad as the problem is in the United States, and it's bad, we'll get into the data in a minute, it's much worse in some other countries. I mean, you can only imagine some countries where not only is there high rates of disengagement, but there's not there's not the easy ability to better oneself and move up social ladders and develop some modicum of wealth. So here's the overview of the Gallup study. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're driving, you may want to pull over. This is data that's going to shock you. And uh, Lucy and I don't want to be responsible for any car accidents. So remember that the Gallup study was asking people about how they feel. It's not a study asking supervisors how they feel about their workers. We're afraid that that study might be even worse. So here's the breakdown. 19% or nearly one-fifth of the American workforce, that probably is pretty reflective of global workforce, describe themselves as actively disengaged. These are employees that are proactively unhappy at work, and they are proactively recruiting others to share their misery. One out of five. The next big block is 52% that are simply not engaged. Now, they're not actively disengaged, but they describe themselves as not engaged. Uh, These are your typical sort of C students in a classroom. Uh, There's very little enthusiasm or any meaningful connection to their work. A lot of them are sitting in their cubicles and hoping not to get noticed. And, you know, it's the classic example of the person that's always playing video games when you walk into their office and then somehow magically is reading an important email. And if you add those together, we're at 71% of the workforce. You just have to stop and just take that in. Yes, exactly. 25% describe themselves as engaged. So these are your classic kind of B, B plus students. They have some degree of passion and feel some connection to their work and to the mission and values of the company. They are occasionally acting as true collaborators and team members, but you know, they're engaged. And some of the engaged also fall the risk of dropping into the not engaged. That leaves us if you're sitting down with only 4%, four out of every 100 workers, this is not a high-tech, low-tech, minimum wage, senior partner kind of issue. These, this was a wide cross-section 
of demographic, age. Uh, you know, everyone looks at this data and goes, oh, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a millennial thing. No, it's not. You can't write these problems off as just being these are low tech jobs or minimum wage jobs or, you know, younger workers. Uh, that is a gross mischaracterization of the study. But to think that only four out of 100 workers, four people describe themselves as deeply engaged to their work, you know, defined as a strong bond with what they do all day and their company. I mean, that's pretty sad. Let's shift for a moment to the consequences of this disengagement. At the very heart of the list was customer service ratings and satisfaction. You know, so many companies now are focused on the customer experience. Well, the customer experience, whether it's in a retail or home services or whatever it may be, or business to business consumer, is not going to be bowled over when 96% you know, of the people in the company uh, are not even close to being highly engaged. Impacts on KPIs like profitability, productivity, retention and recruitment, the cost of employee turnover, strength and dilution of brand, the amount of safety incidents uh, in the workplace, the amount of theft and violence in the workplace, issues around tolerance and inclusion and respect and harassment. Absenteeism is much higher. Even intellectual property misappropriation is much higher. People feel like, you know, if I hate this company and they hate me and I'm disengaged, then who cares if I throw the customer database onto a flash drive and walk out? These are the kinds of concerns that I have. We have such high levels of political and socioeconomic divisiveness in our society that it's really starting to spill into the workplace. And, and one last point on the Gallup study, the CEO of Gallup wrote a pretty scathing update to the state of the American workplace three or four years later. And he said, look, you know, here we are, we published this major study that should be scaring US and global leaders. And four years later, the numbers have barely moved. You know, what do we have to do to get focused on this? And one last point on the Gallup study, the CEO of Gallup wrote a pretty scathing update to the state of the American workplace three or four years later. And he said, look, you know, here we are, we published this major study that should be scaring U.S. and global leaders. And four years later, the numbers have barely moved. You know, what do we have to do to get focused on this? It's fascinating what you said right at the end there. Problems in society do seem to be seeping into the workplace. We're in unprecedented times and we're facing issues we haven't faced before. And it's interesting to try and align that with what's happening in the workplace. We seem to be looking all over the place for answers. Exactly. We also have to look at the impact of disengagement on the individual and the family. All of us want to feel like our life has meaning. I stumbled on some research from the 1970s, a professor actually at University of Maryland, where I also teach, who wrote about something called mattering, mattering, M-A-T-T-E-R-I-N-G, and basically, you know, connected the feeling that one matters with their overall level of happiness and wellness. And, you know, I know it's a statement of the obvious, but when we feel like we matter, either in our work or at home or both, we live longer, healthier, and happier lives. If you look at some of the studies on disengagement, 
there are already links to the following. Are you ready? Because this is really, really sad. Um, anxiety, stress, depression, complacency, substance abuse, workplace violence, obesity, and suicide. I mean, there are very serious human consequences around disengagement, but also a very serious upside if people are engaged. So I don't want to dwell on this, but it, there's, there's both workplace ramifications and very real human and family and societal ramifications when we spend 8, 10, 12 hours of our day and of our lives uh, feeling disconnected and disengaged and dysfunctional and just angry. I mean, it's so interesting. We seem to be on the verge of saying it's a government problem. But of course, each workplace has to take its own responsibility for company culture. So who should we be looking to to solve this? The first thing that has to happen, and I have been giving some speeches in the last couple of years for a group in the U.S. called the NACD. The NACD is the National Association of Corporate Directors. And I think it does have to start all the way at the top. If the board of directors and the CEO of the company have their head in the sand, you know, sort of uh, emperor's new clothes, if you remember that children's story kind of approach, then nothing's going to ever happen. Many leaders would like to think that their culture is wonderful and their leadership skills and everybody loves them. But the truth is everybody loves them in the way that everybody applauded the emperor as he paraded through the town with no clothes on. And it took the five-year-old child to ask, why is the emperor walking around naked? Uh, and he's not built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. The second is empowerment of the HR department. Many HR professionals would like to be empowered. They would like a seat at the strategy table to help chip away at this problem. I mean, after all, they are the people that at least have been classically trained to help increase levels of engagement, but they have to have a seat at the table and they have to be empowered. The third thing that I'm seeing is even though compensation keeps ranking as fifth, sixth, seventh most important uh, when it comes to the crisis of disengagement, many companies still have compensation, reward, feedback, and motivational systems that are stuck in the 1980s or 90s. You know, I was with one client recently and I said, so what's your level of engagement like? What do you do to foster more engagement? They said, oh yeah, we have free donuts on Fridays and we have a ping pong table, but nobody really uses it. So we have files on it right now. So like really free donuts and a ping pong table? That, that's your idea of employee engagement? I said, first of all, you're sugaring up all your employees yeah. you know, on, on Friday and the ping pong table is just another conference room desk at this point. We need to look at a 2020 uh, holistic system of comp and rewards and what truly motivates people. I mean, study after study after study shows training, mentoring, coaching, more flexible workplace, better technology. People will, will prefer those things way over some small Christmas bonus. Now, engagement is about a cultural connection, a deeper feeling that I have around the mission and values of the organization, the mission and values of my department, the mission and values of my work team. You know, do I admire and respect the person I report to? Why or why not? And if it's not, then we need to get to the heart of that. That is a huge component of moving the needle on engagement.
there is a gigantic fear of irrelevance. The latest data is that nearly a third, which is 2 billion people, of the world's population, not the U.S. population, the world's population will need to be retrained in the next five to 10 years because of the impact of AI and robotics. You're listening to The Growth Business with me, Lucy Thorpe, and my guest is Andrew Sherman. We're talking today about the crisis in employee engagement. Go ahead then, Andrew, and and tell us about the repercussions of AI and robotics on the workplace. Is this kind of um, digital transformation going to enhance our jobs or take them away? Let's just have a fun hypothetical. You and I are married. I tell you in five years, Lucy, I'm not going to respect you anymore. I'm not going to love you anymore. I'll be stepping out on you regularly. I can't expect you to be in a happy marriage with me for five years, and then my behavior is going to start acting like I just described. And that's how many people feel about their jobs. They're like, well, why should I pay any attention to my job if in five years I'm getting replaced by a robot or a supercomputer or by artificial intelligence, and you need to remain relevant, and you need to feel like you're going to remain relevant. You know, 50 years ago, our grandparents, sure, they could lose their jobs, the company could go out of business, I mean, the economy could be bad, but they weren't afraid of being replaced by a machine. So one of the things that you can do to keep your people more engaged is to show them that they're relevant, invest in the training and the education and the mentoring and career mapping and the coaching that will keep them relevant, you know, we will probably live a a good 30 to 50 years where man and machine will be of equal value. But you have to know how to operate these computers and AI and use these technologies to your advantage, or you will be replaced and be irrelevant. And there's a lot of questions right now about what we're supposed to do with a third of the world's population if they don't have jobs. People feel the risk of irrelevance. The risk of irrelevance, going back to the mattering study, means they're going to be disengaged. They're coming to work filled with apathy, filled with a sense of just not caring because they figure it's just a matter of time before I get a pink slip from a robot. One of the things that the younger generation of employees are interested in are value-driven policies. Do you see that as any kind of an answer, um, being more environmentally aware, for example? That's a whole other issue. A big part of engagement is around CSR, corporate social responsibility. And one of the solutions that I talk about in the book is to not look at social responsibility solely through the eyes of the founder of the company. What we have in the US, and I bet you have in the UK as well, is many small and mid-sized enterprises. You know, let's say the founder of the business lost his mother to leukemia. And that's terrible. And of course, everyone wants to cure leukemia. But if you have 150 employees and you basically say, our corporate mission is to give, you know, a portion of our incomes all to fight leukemia, you've personalized your CSR and imposed it on 150 families. Well, you know, what if my mother died of breast cancer or what if, you know, my brother is is a wounded veteran? I mean, you've got to let people express there, maybe there's not 150 causes, but there has to be choices. Um, in larger companies, you'll see a large company get behind a particular cause, and then you know that's their, their thing. Well, you've got 10,000 employees that want to be involved in their community, but may not want to be involved in the way that the CEO tells them to. 
We're coming towards the end of our time here now. And because I work in technology, I'd really like to ask about the resistance to adopting technology that you often get in workplaces. Maybe it's because, as you say, people fear irrelevance. Do you have any tips for CEOs introducing technology and going through this kind of change? How do you get your workforce to come along on that journey with you? I don't think we have any choice. I mean, there's definitely a resistance to anything new. There's definitely a fear, particularly by the baby boomer generation, to have to learn new technologies. I never imagined when I entered the workforce in the early 80s that I would have a credit card-sized device that was a camera, a phone, a video camera, and access to all the information on the planet. I mean, if you had said that to me, I'd say, wow, that's very Jetsons of you or, you know, forward thinking. You know, now I I can't imagine my life without my credit card size device known as my smartphone. You know, what will be the new technologies that will literally transform our lives? And not always, always in good ways either. I mean, there's a lot of issues around people spending more time with their phones than their spouses. But we've got to embrace this stuff. It's not just technology. It's evolution. And we are evolving at a much, much more rapid pace. Uh, All of the you know, writing around the fourth industrial revolution and convergence between man and machine. I mean, it's not some future movie anymore. It's all very, very real. And I think that leaders need to explain this to people, not just IT departments showing up with some new device or new app or new piece of software, but leadership getting in and saying, this is the way you stay relevant. This is the way that you keep your job and continue to be engaged and perform the skills and abilities that we need to keep growing the enterprise. I don't see technology being presented in that way, and it needs to be if if we're not going to lose the battle in the crisis of disengagement. Andrew, that's an excellent answer, and you've left us with so much to think about today. I would urge you to check out Andrew Sherman's Amazon author page for a full rundown of all those 27 books. Remember, guys, he's a lawyer. He's not an HR specialist, but he knows a hell of a lot about HR. Thanks, Andrew. Please do join us next time for more business growth chat on The Growth Business, a podcast brought to you by InCloud Solutions.